Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I often talk about the fact that these podcasts are not very well planned out. I don't sort of spend hours researching anything or finding themes. However, themes do seem to develop. And this is basically how I put the podcast together each week in case you're interested. I look at things, I listen to things, I might be watching a film and I make a few notes. Um, I'll put them up on my laptop in front of me, never more than a few sentences or occasionally something that I want to read out to you and get correct. I'll um, I'll cut and paste it onto a document and I'll go through it. Uh, but when I sort of bring those elements together. I'm not thinking, oh, it's going to be about this this week or it's going to be about that. However, this week, and the reason why I'm preambling like that, I suppose, is because there does seem to be a theme that's come together, and that theme is art. I was recently watching a documentary on the life of the artist Mark Rothko, and uh, it was a fascinating documentary, by the way. I'm not sure where I saw it. Maybe Sky Arts, maybe on the BBC. Not sure, but anyway... Try and dig it out. It's very, very good. Anyway, what was fascinating uh, for me was it took at least 30 years for him to evolve that visual language that um, I presume a lot of us will be aware of if you're aware of Rothko's work. I know when I was an art student, I spent many hours sitting in the Rothko room at the old Tate, which is now the Tate Britain, um, and they've moved that those uh, paintings to uh, Tate Modern. The paintings that were commissioned for a restaurant wall and which he wasn't happy to uh, allow to ever be hung. He was paid $35,000 for those paintings, for that commission in the 1950s. But uh, the paintings went into storage and uh, he sent the money back. Anyway, so it took him nearly 30 years to create that um, that visual language, which so many people um, have connected with. It's a language that looks very simple, but it's not. It's very deep, it's very layered, it's very technical. And it instantly made me think of the photography of William Eggleston. Again, the simplicity of the snapshot looks very easy. But if you've ever tried to paint a Rothko, or if you've ever tried to create images like Eggleston, you'll understand the nuance, the sophistication, the importance of their life experience in the making of that work. The simple is never easy, because in reality, it's very complex. And I think that's... Uh, a really key element in understanding photography and reading photography. It's so easy to see work and think, well, that doesn't look very difficult. I can do that. Well, if you try, you'll find out that it isn't easy at all. It would be impossible to find things all of the time to inspire us. I'm really grateful for my friends and people I know and people I don't know, actually, who send me links to things that they think I might be interested in. That happened also in the last week. A very good friend of mine, old school friend of mine, artist, photographer, uh, Paul Glazier in Amsterdam, sent me a link uh, to a little film. Um, made by the Louisiana Channel. It's available on YouTube. Um, and it's on US-based Danish photographer Jakob Ayu Sobel, who speaks in this film about the use of the word artist in relation to what he does. And it's really interesting because what he said was that, first of all, he's a father. 
and then he's a husband, and then he's a fisherman, and then finally he's a photographer. And what he was talking about with this with this kind of phrase, this word artist, that he certainly seemed to feel a little bit uncomfortable with in relation to his practice, to his work, which, if you're not aware of it, as I always say, do check him out. That's uh, Jacob, which is J-A-C-O-B, A-U-A-U-E, Sobol, S-O-B-O-L. Beautiful black and white work and primarily made in harsh climates where he embeds himself in community. Anyway, what he said about the use of the word artist is that the artist is about how you live and how you see the world. It's not necessarily about what you do. I quite like that. Whilst we're talking about art and watching things, I've recently also been catching up with Robert Hughes's Shock of the New that's appeared on our televisions here in the UK after 33 years. I well remember as a 16-year-old art student watching it on Sunday evenings and being totally obsessed with how it presented the history of art. There's some photography in there as well, but the history of art and how it connects to social and economic change. Hughes, to me, the only person along with John Berger who I really enjoy reading, writing about photography and art forms. For me, they both challenge our perception, but at the same time, do so in a way which is understandable, which isn't overly academic. But I don't want to go down that road. What was really interesting to me was when I first saw it as a young, impressionable 16-year-old, I can remember not really understanding very much about it, but being incredibly excited about all these things I'd never heard of or that I never knew anything about. And I immediately started to write down words and names that he mentioned so that I could go to the library, yes, one of those places, uh, and find books about these people. And I don't mean my school library or my art school or my university library, because we didn't have that to that extent. I mean, the local library, the local library in Mitcham that I used to go down to regularly to try and find books about art. Watching it now... I understood a lot more about what he was saying and I think about what he was trying to say. But interestingly enough, I found it even more challenging. Instead of just picking up on those names of people, I started to think about the construction of his sentences, the phraseology and how he was looking at things and how he was trying to make us look at things. For me, this is what photography is about. Maybe it's not for you. But maybe you might want to have a look at it from that perspective. This week, I'm proud, pleased and excited to welcome to the podcast Ian Hill, who is a photographer based in Cumbria in the northwest of England, who works primarily in black and white 35mm analogue film. His work is led by an attempt to respond to what he sees as environmental crisis in terms of what he photographs, where he photographs and how he photographs. This has led to an increasing focus on the local, the small scale, the unnoticed hedgerow plants, gate latches, abandoned walls and sheepfolds. It has also led to changes in his technical approach as he now uses environmentally benign chemicals. 
He states that his work has helped him to redefine his photography as he works on projects which speak more about the local, the need for nurture, and about our connection with the land. He has published three books of his work, The Fisher King, Alchemy, and Lineage. Some years ago, I visited an exhibition at the British Library of early 19th century photography. I was fascinated by the scale and the quality of the images, the way in which photography developed so rapidly in those middle years of the 19th century. I stood entranced for some time in front of one particular picture, an image of William Henry Fox Talbot's of a single ash tree in the countryside near Laycock Abbey. It was a reprint, I suppose, from one of Fox Talbot's original glass negatives, And I was struck how it is possible that that light on that ordinary winter's day in 1842 can somehow be captured on this piece of paper for all time. I had at that time been taking and developing photographs for many years, but I think that moment crystallised for me some of the ineffable magic of photography, its curious mix of art and alchemy. I'm of the generation for whom photographs, particularly black and white photographs, were the principal means of recording places, events and people. They have a potency which is born of their time, a way of conveying some version of the truth, but which could also leave gaps and mysteries. The lack of captions or timescales, unnamed people appearing in the family album, places we cannot recognise... They were always there in my upbringing, these unsorted carrier bags of old photos, those familiar paper packets with heavy medium format negatives. I grew up, I suppose, with photographs being something of the language of memory, and I think my love of black and white photography is somewhere in this childhood impression. As a child, I spent my time exploring the fields, the lanes and ditches around the village where I lived. I was captivated by the landscape and by places that seemed somehow liminal between the natural world and the human. I can remember happening upon abandoned structures in the countryside and weaving fantastical stories and explanations about their origins. And in a way, I still do that with my photography. I use photography as a way to glimpse some kind of weird otherness about the natural world. I think I was always alert to something uncanny in the land around us, something that evoked a feeling in me unfamiliar from my everyday life of school and home. The writer Raymond Carver is reported as saying that literature is a force of memory we have not yet understood. And something in that phrase describes my relationship with photography. A photograph can be a depth charge in our subconscious. It can tell stories, pose riddles, leave things unsaid. This narrative quality has drawn me over the years to photographers such as the great interwar generation of American photographers like Dorothea Langer or Paul Strand, but also more recently has drawn me to photographers whose work tells us only part of the story, like a fragment of a forgotten whole, photographer mythologists such as Francesca Woodman or Minor White. I want photography to leave me with unanswered questions as though there is something I'm struggling to remember. I was thinking of the function of memory in photography. Not recall, as that is something completely different. Recall is to bring to mind events which happened to us, places we've been, people we have known. 
Memory is not necessarily the bringing to mind of objective reality, but is instead analogous to the idea of truth. That is, it also taps into our collective subconscious and drags from it things which we know should be true, in the same way that a myth is a story that should be true, even if it is not factually so. Photography, used well, can construct a modern mythology, a way to reflect to us how the world might be or how our place in it might be understood. So what does photography mean to me? It's a medium of ongoing narrative, a means of using one sense to stimulate others, a mechanism for arresting the viewer's attention and planting there some seed of a story. It is a way in which we try to understand the world, a lifebelt in a roaring sea. Thank you, Ian, for your contribution this week. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? And a beautiful way of ending it there. I love that kind of use of the sea. Sometimes it does feel a little bit choppy out there, doesn't it? And occasionally, I think we do get becalmed. But I don't want to carry that metaphor on much further than that. Uh, Who knew that uh, Ian was going to start talking about art and the connections with art and photography in that way? As regular listeners know, I never listened to the contributions until the very moment that I dropped them into the episode. So you've just heard that for the first time, and so have I. Makes me want to immediately return to Ian's work, which I've already been looking at, I have to admit, and look at it in more depth. I wouldn't be surprised if you did the same. Now, I started off this episode talking about the film I'd recently watched about the artist and painter Mark Rothko. And as part of that film, they talked about an exhibition that he was part of that was roundly criticised and derided by a particular New York Times art critic. And uh, as a response, both Rothko and the other artist he uh, was exhibiting with wrote a letter to the newspaper, a very extended letter, actually, probably more like an opinion piece or an article, in which they pretty much said, well, we don't care what you think. We're about the future and you're about the past. Well, within that, Rothko also gave five kind of rules, like a manifesto. And as you know, as regular listeners know, I do like a set of rules that artists put together that kind of provoke uh, discussion and debate. So I thought I'd share Rothko's with you. Obviously, they're very connected to painting, but I think there's a lot of relevance to photography also. So here goes. Number one. To us, art is an adventure into an unknown world, which can be explored only by those willing to take the risks. Number two, this world of the imagination is fancy-free and violently opposed to common sense. Number three, it is our functions as artists to make the spectator see the world our way, not his way, or I should add her way also. Number four, we favour the simple expression of the complex thought. We are for the large shape because it has the impact of the unequivocal. We wish to reassert the picture plane. We are for flat forms because they destroy illusion and reveal truth. Number five, it is a widely accepted notion among painters that it does not matter what one paints as long as it is well painted. 
This is the essence of academicism. There is no such thing as good painting about nothing. We assert that the subject is critical and crucial, and only that subject matter is valid, which is tragic and timeless. That is why we profess spiritual kinship with primitive and archaic art. I mentioned in a previous episode that I would be talking about AI uh, at an upcoming two-day conference at the Royal Photographic Society. That's called Photography and Artificial Intelligence, and it is on October the 9th, and I think October the 10th, Also, uh, I'll just read a little bit about what's going on there so that you can uh, get involved if you wish. Um, There is a cost involved to this, I'm afraid. Uh, It's £60 to um, attend in person and £25 uh, to attend via Zoom on the live stream. I'm not sure if this is going to be recorded um, to be seen afterwards for free. I do hope so. Anyway. Uh, what it says is this, this is the event uh, which I will be talking uh, at. Artificial intelligence has been part of photographic production for several years, but the easy availability of generative uh, AI has prompted concerns about AI's impact on photography, as well as an interest in new ways of creating images in equal measure, notwithstanding ethical and legal issues. The conference is arranged in four panels, introductory, history, theory, application, legal rights practice, and creative practice, uh, over two days, and each panel will be followed by a Q&A with the speakers. Uh, it's presented in a hybrid format, uh, which means some people will be in person and some people will be online, I presume. Uh, so it sounds like a really good event. As I said, I will be giving a talk, uh, and it will be very much from uh, the commission perspective. But don't ask me anything more than that at this point, because I haven't written it yet. And I have to be honest, I'm going to leave it to the very last minute, because as far as I can see, things in the AI world are changing day by day. Uh, In the meantime, just one other thing to uh, give you information about, the book I've been writing uh, is coming to printed fruition. Uh, Condé Nast has left the building. The history of magazines and creativity that came out of Vogue House in London over six decades. Lots of relevance to photographers in there and lots of little photography stories as well. Uh, Very much told from a first-person perspective as I worked uh, for Condé Nast um, all the way through the 1990s. Anyway, that's pretty much it for this week. Lots of stuff we've covered. Hope you've enjoyed it. And as always, please take care.